Hello and welcome to the Autistic Reality Podcast. Here at Autistic Reality, we believe in three levels of identity. We believe that we are all human, traveling on our journey together, and that we have much more in common than what sets us apart. We believe that we are all individuals with richly unique experiences. And finally, we believe in the importance of all other identities, whether they be gender, race, sexual orientation, ability, faith, and much, much more. Join us on this wonderful journey as we interview key players and discuss important topics. We hope this journey will be informative and fun. We are ready. Nothing about us without us. Hello, welcome to the Autistic Reality Podcast. And I'm talking with a dear, dear, dear friend. You folks don't get to know her real name because she deserves a modicum of privacy, but you do get to know her famous, fancy new author name, D.A. Charles, or Da Charles. How are you doing, D.A.? I'm good. How are you, Alec? I'm awesome. So we we met, like, years ago, like eight years ago, or, or even longer. We did. You know? It's been a very long it, time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. We 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 met through um yes folks, we met through the Twilight fandom, which I think is really awesome. I've met people all around the world through that fandom and I heck I've even made a new relative, you know, my you aunt did. and I yeah, and I have friends in like uh, you know, Slovakia and uh the UK and it's gotten me a lot closer to many wonderful loving people. Um so don't diss a fandom if it if it does really good things. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. Some of the things that it's yeah. done and the friendships, you know, the yeah. the common bond between people and I think a lot of the common bond is just goodness. You know, yeah, it, it, lots of good hearted people. You and you're definitely a good person, Denise. And so, uh, listen. I know everybody thinks they work hard. Shut the fuck up. You don't work as hard as Denise. <laughs> D- Denise, uh, how many jobs are you working right now? Um, let's see. Currently, I have three, four home care families. Plus, I work in a pharmacy. Yeah. And, you know, you're lucky if you if I've done business with you for quite some time now. And from what I've learned is you're lucky if you get a day off, you know, <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's true. But the, here's the thing is that Denise is really dear to my heart because Denise does not do uh, stupid stuff. She does stuff that changes the world and helps people. Denise, what field are you in? What was that? I'm sorry. What is the field you work in? Oh, I work in home and community-based care. Yeah, which see, essentially cares about people. Yeah, it's all about keeping people at home and living as independently as they possibly can and making their own choices. And, and that's absolutely that's, thrilling and wonderful, and it's also very loving of you. It's very important, um, too. Yeah. Um, there was a decision, a court decision... Uh, in the 90s called the Olmstead decision, which uh, 
It was a Supreme Court decision, and what it ruled, this is the official opinion of the U.S. government, and don't let anybody ever tell you different, is that if at all a person can live outside of institutionalized setting, then they have every right to do Yes. And there was a time before Olmstead, the the whole point that led up to Olmstead was the fact that people were able to be institutionalized simply because they had a disability. And that just blew that whole idea out of the water, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, You're probably familiar with the Willowbrook case, aren't you? That I'm not sure of. Um, uh, before he kind of became a hack, Geraldo Rivera was actually a real journalist and he stopped by, uh, an institution called Willowbrook in the late seventies or early eighties unannounced. And the stuff that he encountered was out of a horror movie. Um, they, because they weren't prepared and there were basically most of the, these weren't patients. They were being treated as inmates. Um, were even the, they were called patients, but they were being treated as lesser beings. Yep. Um, were uh, a lot of them were in rags or naked and defecating on the floor, and uh, and uh, uh, the throwing things, and the staff just didn't care. Didn't care at all. You know, it was. They viewed us, I say us, because as all of you know by now, I have several disabilities. They viewed us as contemptible. Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh, To be hidden away uh, in institutions, and there are lots of families who didn't even admit they had a family member with a disability. It was easier to hide that, and, you know... What what a sad sad past. You yeah, know. and um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I I have a lot of love for various diverse causes. Um, uh, I myself am gay as the Dickens, you know, and uh, and uh, I have to say that at least half of my romantic partners have been African American. And another half of my romantic partners have been transgender in some way, shape, or form. Um, that said, the disability population lags behind a lot of these uh, groups. For example, it is actually legal in this country, which I'm sure you know, Denise. Uh, sorry about the first name. I keep <laughs> nope, on forgetting. That's okay. Denise, I'm not gonna get that's okay. Name, you know. it, is, it is actually still legal in this country for people with disabilities to be forcibly sterilized against our will. Yes. Yes, I did know that. That is a uh, court case that went before the Supreme Court in like 1924, 26, I think. It was called Buck versus Bell. And uh, in that case, uh, the deciding opinion of the United States government that lasts to this day. These are the actual words that are still law from the Supreme Court. The words are three generations of imbeciles are enough. Yeah. 
That's the official opinion of the U.S. government and why people with disabilities can be forcibly sterilized against our will. And uh, that is something we need to focus on. Um, I'm not, you know, we just had basically an impeachment fail yesterday. And uh, and I think that that's actually going to be an unintended plus. I think that it's going to thoroughly destroy the faction in power that has been abusing things. They no one will ever be able to take them seriously ever again. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Yeah. And uh I know that standards of care are very different around the world. They are. Um yeah. I was in an in- internship in DC and uh there was a person who had lived overseas in Eastern Europe and she said East I mean I'm used to Western Europe. Western European care is often superior to ours. Right. Eastern Europe, on the other hand, is like anywhere from half a century to a century behind what's going on in the States. Yeah, you You see people still laying on mats in the street because they have no limbs and there is no funding to provide a wheelchair or, yeah. Yeah, there was a uh, person who, uh, uh, the 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 you know this this person did work with uh, the disabled population, and she mentioned there was a person who was uh, uh, blind, and she was the only girl at an institution, and instead of giving her separate facilities so she wasn't pawed by a bunch of horny males. They said, well, she's blind. She can't see people's private stuff anyway, you know? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's quite the reasonable accommodation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Then we get to unfortunate other areas. One of the other people in the internship, we had a whole panel on this uh, disability around the world. One of the other people was from Azerbaijan. Denise, do you know what Azerbaijan is? Mm. I believe it is a former Soviet Republic. It is now independent, although heavily under the Russian sphere. And he said that the Azerbaijan was actually better off in some ways under the Soviet days, because while the Soviets were fascist dictators, they did uh, assign resources to all of their republics. Um, and, and made sure that certain things were provided. That, Of course, the standard of care was lower than the state's, but he said, okay, this guy was blind, and he said that there is only one Braille printer in the entire country. Wow. <laughs> That's unfathomable. It's, yeah, yeah. Then we get... To worse situations, I had this this one guy named John was uh, in French, uh, was my roommate, and he, uh, I don't knock people's countries, I'm very proud, uh, I'm glad when they're proud of it, but he was living in an area of the world that had seen a lot of horror. Uh, are you familiar with the film Hotel Rwanda? I don't think I am. Basically, he was from Rwanda or Uganda, one right. of those two countries in 
And unfortunately, I think he was from Rwanda. And that is a country that had a bona fide genocide in the 90s. Wow. They actually rounded up all people of, of various ethnicity and tried to kill every <clears throat> single one of them. And he said, uh, he said, for one thing, in Rwanda, they don't recognize uh, PTSD because they realized that if they did, everybody would have a PTSD yeah. diagnosis. Wow. They also, um, don't worry, folks, we'll get to the questions in just a minute. We're just laying some groundwork. <laughs> um, he also said that the earth-shattering poverty in Rwanda, where so many people still live in, in huts yes. and lack proper access to bathrooms and things. Um, you know, my dad's done work in uh, Southeast Asia where they put a high value on competitive education. But if you're disabled, people won't even admit you exist. Wow. They'll chain you to a radiator somewhere, you know. And so the first step to disability equality in some of the parts of the world is just admitting that we, the disabled, exist. Yeah. Denise, how did you become involved with the disabled population? I grew up in a home with a parent with a disability. So I didn't really realize that there was any difference to between our family and anyone else's because that's how I was raised. If I may ask, is it okay if I ask what the disability was? Absolutely. My mom had had multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did that impact? How did, elaborate, how did that affect your life from day to day? Well, gee, as I, as a kid, you know, I grew up on a farm. Um, and we live in a rural community that, um, is still, I don't know, I think to some extent we're still a little behind the times. It's a little slower lifestyle. But, you know, when I was growing up, I was 10 years from my grandparents still using outhouses because <laughs> they didn't have indoor plumbing in their bathrooms. I mean, seriously, you know. Um, so as as strange as that sounds, you know, um, and that was 50 some years ago, but still, you know, that's, things were a lot different. And we didn't know that my mom had multiple sclerosis. She was misdiagnosed over and mm. over and over from the point where initially they thought she had had polio. And oh, it, yikes. It was 30 years until she had uh, a correct diagnosis. Um, but I can do you remember. do you attribute that to shortage of doctors or training or um I I, I don't know if a, a lot of it I I attribute to just this sounds horrible but just the rural mentality I mean I can remember mm. my family doctor going to him and I'm I'm nearly deaf in my right ear and uh -huh. I have had two reconstructive surgeries. I remember going to the doctor when I was about 16 and saying, I can't hear out of this ear. And he said, well, put your fingers in your ears. Can you hear me now? And I said, yeah, a little uh -huh. bit. He's like, okay, well, you're fine. 
you know, and that's, yeah. that's the kind of mentality. But when my mom was having problems, um, they attribute it to, well, first, um, having polio, then they thought maybe she had had a stroke and then they decided that she just had low blood pressure. So they prescribed oh, porter God. because they said, gee, if you drink alcohol every day, your blood pressure will come up and you'll be fine. So, um, you know, ah. the, and my mother worked in an elementary school that was ungraded. It had ungraded classes. Um, she taught second, third, she taught third, fourth, she taught fourth, fifth. And they would take kids, not chronologically by age, but more by learning level. And they would have third and fourth graders together because maybe the more higher functioning third graders were more like the lower functioning fourth graders. So they didn't, they didn't label them by third grade or fourth grade because they tried to meet the abilities of those kids and tried to have a curriculum that was more based on where they were at than, you know, where everyone is in, in a certain segment. But when she went to go back to work, they wouldn't let her go back because she couldn't write anymore. Mm. So they went from being progressive, but when it came down to it, she could not go back to teaching because they didn't feel that. She had I the have a lot of respect. I have a lot of respect for rural folks who have kept, you know, we are so fortunate as a country to have big cities and grant, you know, grand sweeping plains, yeah. beautiful mountains. And, and um, there are so many smaller countries that are, uh, you know, either only industrial or only agricultural and American farmers. And I have heard some stories about your life yes. are really the, the, the arguably the truest Americans. That said, I understand that lack of information and uh, resources can really contribute to lack of understanding of disability. Yes. And we are not very progressive. We really aren't even today. Um, we are to an extent, but the, the mindset is just still very archaic here. Yeah. You, you had mentioned that you live in the last house on the power line. Yes. Yes. My house is the last one on this on this um, leg of the, the power where I live. Um, my property was originally owned by my great-grandparents. The Stagecoach Road is where my wow. driveway is now. So, yeah. <laughs> What's the weather like up there? Um, Right now, it's just kind of gray and chilly. It's um, we're, we're... Have you had really bad snowfalls sometimes? Um, not this year, not probably in the past five years. We go from, you know, yeah. one day it's 60 and the next day it's 10. And <laughs> you mentioned having to actually literally take a tractor and plow out sometimes. Oh, yes. Yes. We, <laughs> we have a quarter of a mile um, bobsled luge that uh, you get on the top and you pray until you get to the bottom. <laughs> I'm just... 
you know, trying to paint a picture for people to understand where you come from, you know. Yes. And uh, Denise lives in a town called Norneary Town called Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. And I've actually looked up why it's called Jersey Shore, because it is nowhere near Jersey and nowhere <laughs> near the shore. <laughs> and what happened is uh, back in the day, they were in a rivalry with another town down the road and uh the people in that town said well just look at those folks they act like they're on the jersey shore you know <laughs> and the name stock so <laughs> yeah yes. uh, uh anyway i that is to tie the two things we've talked about together and we'll get to the book all right <laughs> you are a home care aide and you are rural yes you have mentioned that you are basically, you're arguably the only person doing what you're doing in your area. Feel free to talk about that. Well, now there, there are lots of us, but there are lots of small private agencies. Um, we also have hospital agencies that do home care, but I guess the thing that makes what I do special is that with home and community-based care, it's all about consumer control. It's all about the independent living philosophy. And there are lots of other situations where you have someone come in and they tell you what to do and how to live and what you should wear and what you should eat. And that's the difference. And the agency that I work for is actually about an hour from where I live. Um, they're where from where you live? Yeah, about, about an hour away from where I live. So I don't okay. see the office a whole lot. But um, I I work with the same individuals all the time, every day. So there's continuity of care. It's not someone different popping in every day. And, um, you know, we form bonds. I have people who I've worked for for five years every single week. There are people that I see more than their family sees. And I, I also work privately, too. Um, I have several individuals yeah. that I work with privately. And the key is letting us have control over our own lives. Yes, absolutely. The, yeah. The independent living movement, which of which we speak, is, for those of you who don't know, is the disability branch of the civil rights movement. And um, my preferred candidate just released his disability agenda the other day and it's by far the most progressive um i'm not gonna lie he said it's bernie sanders that that's that's who it is i mean but it's bernie sanders but the, i'm going to vote for whoever's blue in this election <laughs> but uh whoever's not the current guy uh you know but uh, what Bernie Sanders said at the very top of his very lar long, very thorough disability rights agenda is disability rights are civil rights are human rights. Yes. Yes. We are the largest minority on planet Earth. Yes. And, and the disability community, the disability population, I should say, is... Probably one of the largest voting bodies if everyone got together 
and actually voted. And now you can send in an absentee ballot if you don't want to go to your polling place, if right. you don't feel your polling place is accessible enough, you can make a change by getting an absentee ballot. But they, they used to refer to the disability population as the sleeping giant because they didn't go out and vote. And they felt that if they did, if they went out and voted for the candidates who were best prepared to work with them, who had a platform that included the disability population, that they could just totally turn everything up on end because a lot of those people don't go out and vote. I mean, we've we've had presidents with disabilities before. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there was FDR was very famous, but Thomas Jefferson was quite autistic, and he actually uh, once almost caused an international incident. Well, he did cause an international incident that almost became war when he uh, his social awkwardness during uh, a lunch party actually really angered the British ambassador and his wife. And uh, and uh, we nearly went to war with them again. And uh, <laughs> that, you know, um, uh, James Garfield was probably autistic as well. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, a, a lot of presidents have, and politicians have had, uh, issues. I, um, uh, have had, uh, sorry, have had, uh, disability, you know, things that could have been disability, which means it's not always diagnosed, you know, right. disability. I, this, this takes perfectly into my major point, which is that, I think if every disability were diagnosed, the disability population wouldn't be a minority. That's correct. It would be like 60% of society, you know. Well, and a lot of things in the past weren't recognized as a disability. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there are a lot, of, even especially depression, there are so many people that are like, you know, well, just just get over it. You'll be okay. Put a smile on your face, you, you know. And I don't, people don't understand. They don't try to understand. They don't try to learn about things. And it's, I don't know, um, so it's frustrating for me. You mentioned the rural mindset, and that's exactly the thing is that, you know, old Joe down the road, who used to be kind of odd, yes, you know, is yes. now, now might have, you know, a couple diagnoses, you know? Yes, or he's and, slow. Uh, that That's the biggest thing around here. Yeah, well, so-and-so is just a little slow, you know, and nobody... We didn't have supports for people who had learning disabilities or learned differently or people who were dyslexic or, you know, there there are lots of things that aren't technically disabilities, but people didn't get supports for those things, you know, and they just attributed yeah. it to an intellectual issue and, you know, I don't... I, I think there's always been lots of stigma behind disability too. And people try to hide things because they didn't want to be stigmatized. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you realize that disability is a difference and not a defect, that's right. 
then you know and this whole concept of neurodiversity that the mind comes in diverse forms and also the body comes in diverse yes. forms um that you know uh autism shouldn't be treated like a problem or right um being a little person shouldn't be treated as you know being some uh carnival sideshow right exactly that, yeah well and I we're mean, all different uh, yeah, I say that I said this before, but in, in the 30s and 40s, the nation and then the world were saved by a man who could not move his legs. Uh, similarly, uh, Churchill had major bipolar and often mentioned that depression nearly killed him. And uh, and uh, uh, even further back in history, we have um, people who have. Uh, you know, kings who have, like Queen Anne. Uh, have you heard of the independent film The Favorite? I believe so. Uh, yeah, you've got to see that because Queen Anne, it, it was an indie film. It's very odd, the film is, and it's extremely progressive. She was a lesbian with multiple disabilities who took, did not take any shit. Yes, you she told me about uh, this. Yeah, she was. Um, uh, the film actually portrays her as being somewhat stupid and being governed by her mistresses, but uh, she was actually, in real life, very smart. Forming the United Kingdom was her idea. Wow. So we have a, a lesbian with multiple disabilities founded the United Kingdom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, and uh, she, uh, she uh, had... Uh, bipolar and uh severe migraines and gout and used wheelchairs through most of her reign and actually she really didn't let that limit her because she loved to go hunting well how can a person in a wheelchair go hunting she had a wheelchair uh, a chaise like you know a chaise lounge yep. built with <laughs> wheels and she would drive it through the royal forest and go hunting <laughs> with a bow and arrow, and she was quite a marksman, you know? There you go. That's pretty awesome. So we want to allow uh, people, everyday people, to be as successful as Queen Anne and FDR. Yeah. So you have written uh, a tome. <laughs> An epic saga. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, Denise is part of the Stories About Us project, which I was involved with and which um, I'm still heavily promoting. And it's with my friend JD and a whole bunch of other people. And um, uh, this is, you have a story that may come into like four or five books. <laughs> well, and yeah. <laughs> And you know what? They are really beautiful, really smart books. A lot of people write, fic, you know, I'm sorry. I travel in writer circles for people <laughs> who, who write. This is something that Denise has talked about. I have people who write, quote, romance novels. <laughs> um, they, these are... You know, okay, so officially, according to the words of the text, these people fall in love. 
But what it really reads as is one fuck, two fuck, three <laughs> fuck, four fuck, and yeah, uh, that's erotica. <laughs> and they don't. And listen, I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna go. I hope I don't go on a full fledged rant here. But that pisses me off because <laughs> I have read some of this, and it's great if you're trying to get off at night. You know, if you're if you're trying to be aroused, but it's it's not good writing and it's not good uh and it, uh, well well it could be good writing if they were actually writing you know content but when it's just one sex scene after another and when and when you know they call it romance in full disclosure i know that amazon has rules that keep erotica from being sold under that title so they have to put it under the romance genre <laughs> But outside of Amazon, you should not refer to erotica as something else because then people get their hopes up. Well, Denise, on the other hand, <laughs> has written genuine, powerful, moving romance. Well, with I, I had a friend who was actually one of my first. He he wasn't a beta reader um, per se, but he helped me characterize my main character. And his opinion on writing romance scenes was that, you know, there is a time and a place for a sex scene, but you only use them when you need to. And, you know, you need to make it important. And I had someone review, one of my reviewers, um, who was... A fandom reviewer who actually um, wrote a post about this in a blog. And she said, you know, normally the stories I read are pretty erotic right out of the gate. And she said, I wasn't so sure about this one, but it's a slow burn and it hasn't happened yet. And if it doesn't happen till I get to the end of the story, I'm okay with that. You know, which I thought was really cool because she was someone pretty big in the fandom that reviewed a lot, that a lot of people respected. And, um, you know, that, that was her thing, was that it was put together well enough that she didn't care if there was smut because she was getting something else out of the story. So, yeah, you know, that that's quality, not quantity. Yeah, so what what is this book how would you describe it okay well the series Impact, right let, let me start by saying that the series overall from beginning to end is a romance but it's there's a lot of personal growth and personal discovery in this whole series the whole way through but this very first book is a coming of age story um when I first wrote the fan fiction, I had lots of flashbacks. And I started out with a 35-year-old protagonist, and we had flashbacks to his youth. And I met with a woman who was actually an editor for the Baltimore Review. And I had the opportunity to take, I think it was three chapters to the Baltimore Book Festival and sit down with her and she went through it and gave me advice. And her opinion was that I needed to start the story at the beginning. So 
instead of starting this story where everyone is familiar with it, I went back 16 years and started the story with Stephen Maxwell and the way that his life was irrevocably um, altered. And I went from there. So it's a coming of age story. We have a young man who, you know, has life in the palm of his hands and we're experiencing an 18th birthday party and, you know, all's right with the world. And there's an accident and it's tragic. And instead of letting it be tragic, he grows from it and it changes his life because it changes the perspective of everything he knew and some of the people around him. And we find that some of the people who are part of his life aren't um, everything they should be. And they disappoint us and they change him and I think make him a little better person too because I think he starts to see himself differently. And disability causes a lot of growth yeah. and provokes the way that everyone involves things. And from what I understand, almost every major character in this in this uh, saga either has a disability or is personally involved with someone who does. Yeah, well, and, you know, I had a reader write to me once and say, you know, nobody has this many disabled friends. But you know what? I grew up with my mom and yeah. we went to the MS Society and the MS Self-Help Group and we went to all kinds of fundraisers and events and picnics and parties and it pretty soon it wasn't just people with MS but it was people with other disabilities and by the time I graduated high school my career path was already set and you know so many of the people I know incredible motivated people whose only goal in life is to change the world for the better um and there are little snippets of these people the whole way through that story and lots of the characters have disabilities because I know lots of really cool people who have disabilities that everybody ought to get to know because it's just, that's life. And yeah. sometimes we are so wrapped up in our own stuff that we don't take time to look beyond that and even think about what other people do to get up in the morning and put their socks on or oh yeah it's, it's you know. completely different yeah yeah have you heard of the film the best days of our lives i have not that is a film that i think won the academy award for best picture in either 46 or 47 and the noteworthy film thing is that it starred Three people, uh, it was it was about the fallout of World War II on the human level. Three people who were dealing with hardships caused by war. One was an alcoholic. One had something they didn't have a name for yet, but it's clear it was PTSD. Yeah. 
and the other was a person who had lost a lost a hand and uh or lost his arm and uh and they actually hired of course unlike now when all disabled roles are played by people without disabilities which i have really great disdain for that <laughs> but they actually hired uh hired a veteran without a without an arm to play that part um they did uh change the lessons of his of the various disabilities you know be more more in their minds family friendly and boost ticket sales but that uh the the gentleman uh uh who played with without the arm actually won uh like best supporting actor oscar that year wow and for those of you who don't know, the last time, this speaking in 2020, the last time a person with disability won one of the Ask Actor Oscars was Marley Madlin in yes. like 1987. Yes. And it needs to happen again. Ago. Yes, I agree. Most of my friends aren't that old, <laughs> you know, and um, and uh, it, it, it's piss poor is what it is. Um, uh, so. Uh, I'm sorry I'm going off on a sidetrack, but point is, hire people with disabilities to play disabled parts. Yes. We're out there. We, 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 we want to get involved behind front of the camera and behind the scenes, and it isn't that hard. We want to work, and we want to make people laugh and cry, and we are also writers. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, we and, both are yeah. writers. And there are lots of others out there that we're going to find out about with stories about us because it's an awesome, awesome initiative. Yep. And uh, so you mentioned that this started as a fanfic and some of the people listening may be like, oh, great. It's another Fifty Shades of Grey where, where you know, they, they some horny woman writes a story where 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 this they engage in kinky sex and it's abusive towards women and you know and um uh, but that is not what you did you came with a lot of knowledge of the subject matter which E.L. James did not and also you uh if you look at the fanfic which believe it or not I believe I still have saved to my computer in its like six <laughs> bajillion page entirety. Um, 850,000 odd words plus. And I should add that the new book is actually in addition to that 850,000 yes. words. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, sorry, you change, but the thing is unlike literally uh, 50 shades of gray started as a twilight fan fiction. And, they when it was made into a series of books and a movie, they just changed a few of the names. They 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 they, they did a poor job, and it is well and basically and intellectual property theft. A, a you, lot on of, the other hand, changed everything. Yeah, a lot of fan fictions too. I've read a number that they pretty much took the fan fiction and just change names and places and and i've done that to an extent um but i've put 10 years into this project trying to make it as original as possible um 
you know, I don't, right. I don't know. I hope I hope and it doesn't. I hope it doesn't disappoint anyone. I'm, you know, my greatest fear is that someone won't enjoy it. But you know, it's and and Alec, you and I have talked about whether you know someone will read it and feel that it follows the medical model of disability, where this is definitely all the social model of disability. Um, but. I don't know. Uh, pause for a sec. The, folks, the social, the medical model of disability is what people have been focusing on since ancient times. <laughs> it is that disability is a medical problem a that needs to be, to be fixed. fixed or cured or whatever. Yeah. The social model is that disability um, uh, is a natural form of diversity and needs to be accommodated properly but does not need to be fixed or cured and that we should be tolerant and accepting of people with disabilities now i recognize that medical is a part of disability um it, uh, but i i do have to say that social is mostly correct on how on how i feel about that on how to go do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I I agree. Um, I I think that we don't embrace the social model of disability as much, or not. I I shouldn't say we. I should say the medical community. Um, there are people who still believe that you can't have quality of life if you have a disability. You can't have quality of life if you live in a wheelchair how can you possibly live by yourself oh my god that person drives a car yeah you know um yeah yeah <laughs> it's uh it's when you're a doctor you're unfortunately still t you know you can you can be in the medical community and believe in like a hybrid of medical or social or even believe that in social within certain uh parameters you know, it's just unfortunately they they train you to look at instruments and and poke and prod at people and diagnose and treat and by treat it's like solving a puzzle basically. You know. Well, and I've I've made my main character Stephen. Um, I've put him into kind of an interesting situation where he becomes a doctor and he does research work and he could be there to fix his patients. And really his role as a researcher, you know, when people think about researchers, they're going to find a cure and, you know, we're going to eradicate this problem. And that's not what Stephen's about. Stephen's all about helping his patients and helping the other people who would benefit from his research to navigate their life to the fullest and not to change it or to fix it, but to be able to handle the curveballs that life throws at them and, you know, to be able to be as independent as possible. And, you know, I, that's what this whole story is about. And I also think it's important for people with and without disabilities to not be afraid to ask for help when needed. Yes. Yes. 
And that's something that lots of times we don't do, no matter who we are or what our situation is. Um, I think that we try to be strong and be tough and, you know, not say anything about our issues and just soldier through every day. And I, I think that we would all do a lot better if we asked for help if we needed it. You know, I travel in the disability circles in D.C., and um, a lot of people in the disability crowd are, uh, like, it's a very insular community where all the friends and groups of people are, like, only people with disabilities and things like that. Um, so I can kind of see where Stephen's group of friends comes from, but that said, they have people who aren't disabled as well. Yes. And um, uh, the way I view it is that most of humanity does not identify as having a disability. Um, and nor do most of my friends, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'm not, I, I don't intentionally try to hype up one population. Dude, I am friends with some people who believe completely the opposite of me religiously and politically. Um, but they are, are really, really smart people or really fun to hang out with, you know, re or really good at joking or, you know, um, what I'm, uh, my biggest, uh, fear for your book, which actually it won't, happen if you don't let it is that some of the more extremist people in the disability crowd who I've had to deal with uh, will raise a hissy fit about about something some you know I have uh, you know the for example the dis the disability co community apparently has the, an official place where to put the word with in person with disability. Apparently you're supposed to say disabled person instead of person with disability. I don't give a fuck, you know? Where we put the word with doesn't really... Um, it, it isn't important to me. Starvation, hunger, employment, yeah, you know, um, uh, med medical necessities um kindness to fellow humans um uh war uh those are big issues where you put the article in the sentence is is not a big issue to me and i denise's work is so wonderful i think that people would have to try to pick a problem with it to find one you know <laughs> thank you It applies to a, it. It's a huge audience, and you've had a lot of supportive friends, right? I have, I have, and you know when this was a Twilight fan fiction, um, at last count, I had over four thousand reviews, and they weren't all nice. Um, there were some that were kind of ugly. Um, I did a controversial chapter where my main character, and this will come in the second book where he and his friends go out, they break him out of the rehab um, facility that he's in, recovering in, and um, after an injury, 
and they take him out and they drink and he gets slightly drunk and they get arrested. And I had people say, oh my God, he would never do that. You can't let him get drunk. Well, yeah, I can because he's This is an real adult life, people. And it happens. Yeah, he's an adult and that's something he chose to do. And okay, maybe getting drunk isn't the best solution for him. And maybe I shouldn't have done that and I should have made it a perfect story. But we all have faults and we all have differences and we all have desires. And he wanted to be like everyone else and he was and that's okay yeah. because that's life and and everybody and everybody makes mistakes sometimes we do know? we do and um you know it was a chapter that wasn't a filler it had to move the plot somewhere and it was it worked and i and think you... it was needed because every single part of the story there's and and I don't I didn't write it to be preachy, but there's something to be learned, and it's not I didn't purposely make it that way. But as I read the chapters, there were things that I didn't know if the general public was aware of. So you yeah, know, um, you I, looked into like disability law and things for yeah, this, right? Yeah, exactly. And there there are things about disability law, and there are things about some some absolutely horrible injustices that that I've seen personally as a caregiver. Um, I went to a protest. Yeah, it was a protest with activists who sat out twenty four hours a day with this woman. But a woman chained herself to a flagpole at her son's school, and she stayed there until they changed his IEP because he was a child who had Down syndrome, and he was deaf, and he was nonverbal, and he kept signing to his teacher. Oh, teachable moment, teachable yes. moment. I have friends who would be called nonverbal. They actually, um, first of all, they, I know this will come as a shock to some people in the audience, but but people who can't speak doesn't mean they can't communicate. That's correct. They 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 can communicate and doesn't mean they aren't smart as a whip. One of my non-speaking friends actually says that they that population prefers the term non-speaking and not not verbal. I, I gotcha. Yeah, you know, non-speaking because uh uh it, it has it, it's a whole bunch of things like non-verbal has negative connotations and it also goes to think to say that you can't make sound whatsoever and it also you know it just non-speaking is the preferred term true every day's okay. a learning moment you know yes well to to the the situation with the young man he was kindergarten age maybe mm -hmm. and he kept signing to his teacher that he had to potty and his school district refused to put in his IEP that he required an interpreter because the school did oh, not God. want to pay for an interpreter. So he had an accident and he got upset. And then he yeah. went back to school and they kept fighting for an interpreter and he had another accident and he got upset. So they expelled this young man from school. 
all because his teacher did not understand that he had to use the bathroom. And that particular story is in there because it's so important. People don't, we, we worry about cutting corners and cutting costs and these school districts don't need all this money and a child might need a communication device or a child might need an interpreter or, you know, just things that are basic needs that so many people look at as, you know, expenditures that aren't necessary. He could do without that. Well, yeah, he could if his teacher knew sign language, but that's not a universal thing. And it should be. We've mentioned uh, that the disability block has a lot of voting power, but if properly accommodated and if properly employed and with enough money, and listen, I'm, I'm only just now getting my, my first paid employment. I, I, I'm a, I'm a paid pop culture critic. It kicks ass. But, yes, um, congratulations. But, but, uh, but, uh, I still have an apartment filled with wonderful memorabilia. Some of it's passed down. Most of it's stuff I've purchased for myself over the years. Um, the disability population is large enough that we have significant purchasing power. And, and, and uh, that excluding us from, from the marketplace is due to, you know, um, needing accommodations is just a very unwise business decision. Yes. Yes. Accessibility isn't just for people with disabilities. Accessibility is for everyone. It's for the universal design. Remember? Yes. It's for the mother who's pushing a stroller. You know, it's for the guy who brings your supplies into your store on a hand truck. It's for whatever reason, if someone can get into your place of business, they're going to shop. And if they can't get into your place of business, they're going to tell 20 other people that they can't get into your place of business. And they're all going to go to the place where they can get in. The universal design, for those of you who don't know, is designed for anyone, anywhere, anytime. Yes. The, according to federal law, the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, requires the bare minimum. Universal design is always evolving because it's always we're always developing new technologies and new groups of population are always being heard it'll never stop evolving and a good example of that is okay I went to classes and did research with the idea center at the university of Buffalo, um, which is the world's leading universal design center. Um, they uh, had a group of poor, dehydrated people in Africa. They had these water tanks sitting there that were basically big cylinders, but they uh, uh, could not, and they, they needed water. It was, it was a parched desert but they had no way of getting the water home. Simple, simple fix that saved thousands of people. 
they they developed a handle that would go around the cylinder and allow you to roll it home. You know, that's universal yeah. design. It's not even it's that has nothing to do with disability, but disability no. can also be served by universal design. And and this universal design can serve older populations or 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 any any group. Yes. I agree. Yeah. So uh where do you think of going from here? Where where you're gonna get this published? You're talk about the release party. Okay, well the release party is on Valentine's Day. Um because we were trying to think of a significant day that everyone would remember and it would be kind of symbolic. And this is a love story at the core, so we picked that. And um, our release party is on Valentine's Day all day. Um, I believe we're starting at 10 in the morning and we're going to 10 at night or something crazy like that. Um, <laughs> we have authors coming in every half hour to do takeovers. Um who will probably bring a prize for everyone. Um, I have tons of prizes. I have 48 boyfriend boxes, book boyfriend boxes, um, kind of thinking that, you know, if a gal is sitting at home alone, she's either reading a book or watching a movie. And even if she's not, um, it's got the perfect man in it. He's chocolate. He's rich. He's decadent. And if he gives you any fluff, you bite his head off and eat it. Um, <laughs> I am a guy and I would also like that. We have custom made cookies. This young lady named Sarah who has um, this little company called Magic Majesty Sweets made custom cookies for me to put in these boxes. And one of them is um, a cookie that has a black background and the title shattered on it. And the other ones are heart-shaped, and they look like sheets of notebook paper, and they have Stephen's name written on them, and they have little lip prints on them, um, and they're just, they're awesome. So I've been filling these boxes up with all these awesome prizes, and... You stayed up till four yesterday I, morning. I, this no, this morning. This, this morning. morning. Yes, this Good morning. Grief. I am barely out of bed. Um, and this unbelievably, I have a day off, which they're <laughs> like they're like unicorns in my world. I never have a day off. And today I'm off, so I stayed up late, 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 late into the morning <laughs> and stuffed these boxes with things. Oh, and we also have non-food boxes we have girls night in boxes with manicure kits and fancy valentine socks and um, okay i should just put a disclaimer on this i i am not a a lady i know um, you're I, not. I uh <laughs> yeah no shit sherlock well <laughs> so, well we, so, we, um, we geared the book boyfriend thing towards the ladies I guess yeah. because the typical the typical it, man does not read romance, or if he does, he doesn't admit it because too many men are manly men. I belong to endless fandoms. I and know you do. The 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 well, that's how we met, and the Twilight fandom and the Outlander fandom. You look at these Facebook pages. Pages, uh, the Outlander biggest page is like hundreds of thousands. <laughs> 
uh, of randy middle-aged women and me and you, you know? alec you are the the exception <laughs> and not the role in everything from your upbringing you know um so many kids who learn differently are you know not not raised the way you were it sounds like your parents were so so progressive and so incredibly cool and that doesn't always happen for kids, you know, but everything I see about you, you're the exception. You are just, you're, you are yeah. awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I actually, when I, when I came out of the closet, I uh, briefly went back in because my, I thought my mom was too happy about it. You know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, well, you know, and and I'm sure that someone maybe just wrote this, and it was a, a inspirational story to pass around the internet. But I've always really loved the story where the kid, you know, writes this letter to his parents about coming out, and they're like, "Yeah, we know. You want to go get some orange juice?" You know, because. It's just, it shouldn't be a thing. So what? Okay, my, you're you. You're you. Yeah, That's okay. Yeah. You know? So what? My mom knew when I was six months old, you know? Yeah. What, what yeah. you, what someone's social orientation is, sexual orientation is, what someone's um, religious beliefs are, what someone's color is. What someone's disability is has nothing to do with their humanity. I mean, we're just yeah. people. We're all we're all different and we're all similar, but there aren't even identical twins are not the same and it shouldn't be a thing. It it just shouldn't matter. Okay. Pickle break. I have a question, Denise. Yes, sir. You say you you say you farm. Yes. You say you you well, you say you've well, that you have a garden where you grow things. I have a garden you where say... I try to grow things. Okay. There's a difference. That may be explaining why you grow pickles, because I thought pickles didn't grow naturally. No, I don't <laughs> grow pickles. I grow cucumbers. And then okay. I force them into pickledom. <laughs> and yeah, I okay. take I take a hundred and some year old um, deli slicer and I put my pickles through that, and I make these incredible things that I put on sandwiches that I know would just abhor you if you had them on your sandwich. Listen, yeah. I just celebrated the Chinese New Year by eating chicken feet. I saw that. I saw that. I don't know. They that were I delicious. Would... They had a lot of little bones in them, but they were delicious. Well, that, that's okay. And I... I and I have leftovers of my lunch uh sitting next to me which is raw beef that i got at the ethiopian place mm, okay my, the, my favorite dish there is the raw liver and guts oh no i'm sorry i couldn't <laughs> i am um, my father's country invented haggis and my mother's <laughs> country invented head cheese there's basically nothing i won't try once you know <laughs> I, I understand and i commend you for it there are some things that yeah i just can't go there <laughs> <laughs> so uh there's one more topic to cover and then uh, 
I want to grant our listeners' ears some reprieve, but um, <laughs> this this publishing stories about us has is all about publishing uh, disabled authors, and on, although it's called stories about us, it can be writing about anything. But one thing that we are most proud of at Stories About Us is that it's not all about pushing a disability agenda uh, as as we are the victimized uh you know there are disability anthologies out there that talk basically about segregation on every single page yeah you know and and uh while all of the authors and stories about us have disabilities and some of the stories are about disability we are also trying to offer messages of hope like we've talked about yes today so you've you've been involved with the publishing were there any interesting things you went through when publishing this with us oh my well to begin with um i didn't know that i'd ever do this i didn't know that financially i would be able to do this um i didn't know where to begin and then there was this little engine that could who kept pushing me going do it do it do it come on you can do it and his name was alec um you wow. know okay so okay. Ha- had had you not pushed me out of my comfort zone i might not have done this um the project has been incredible the support that i've gotten the fact that I didn't have someone telling me what I had to take out or what I couldn't put in or, you know, it's kind of like the work I do. I had control, consumer control all the way. Um, And I was able to tell my story the way I felt that it needed to be told. And, you know, there, there were places that I'd, researched a little bit i've looked in a into several publishing companies um and the thing i told you was that the whole thing that made me decide to do this was because i felt it was in the right hands and it wasn't going to get chopped to pieces and i wasn't going to have someone say you have to take all this disability stuff out of here because if i did that somebody who left wasn't there somebody who basically said you should just turn it into a smart novel you know well yeah um i i did have someone tell me that i probably should take most of the disability stuff out of it because there was too much and my opinion is that if i did that it would just be like a grocery store romance novel and there's so much more to this than that yeah you know, and we you, promise we will only sell this at antique stores. <laughs> well, you know, no, no. We we talked about we talked about um, the initiative to get more people with disabilities in the entertainment industry, and filming, and yeah. recording, and writing, and everything, and directing. And we've talked about the Twilight fandom and the Twilight stories, and you know. Kind of, it's kind of funny, but I looked at my daughter one day and I said, you know, if this was a movie, it'd be kind of like when they said Stephanie Meyer could never film Breaking Dawn because they would have to get so many characters from so many places with so many diverse backgrounds and it would cost so much money. And, you know, if this series was a movie, 
we would have to employ so many people with disabilities. I think it would be the most incredible Isn't thing that ever. Wonderful. Yes, it would be the most incredible thing ever. But in my head, I kind of compare it to what they said about Breaking Dawn because there could be so much diversity with this because there is. Yeah, and, uh, there are people they, from all walks of life. Yeah, the Twilight Saga. We we don't think about this, but they actually made a lot of careers, like Anna Kendrick and Remy Malek, who won a fucking Academy Award for playing Freddie Mercury. Yes, they would have never been heard of if not no. for that saga. No, know? and and the Twilight fandom. I know so many people now who not just people who have become authors, but people who edit and people who publish books and people who do graphic design and people. Yeah. Who, and my crazy rock star aunt Betty in Germany. Yes. And, and who, who's thoroughly insane and has an even nuts or probably autistic <laughs> husband. And, and they have the, listen folks, this is how crazy they are. They have goats who live out back in a shed that has a disco ball. <laughs> they're they crazy do. and i love them because they're crazy like me and i visited her in germany twice and uh and uh we the twilight fandom believe it or not after all these years still have get-togethers yep. um from time to time there's an official get-together each year in forks washington and then the 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 fanfic people also have at least one get up a get together a year and I've been at one in Boston and one in Baltimore. We will yeah. be friends forever. And um I've gotten to know so many other wonderful people. Yeah, like me too. Denise and uh like Amber Johnson, whose book I I uh yes. I uh edited and uh yeah, and uh, it's just, it draws people together, and you know, there's I I've done several essays on how I believe it's actually hated. Twilight is hated because it puts the power in the in the hands of the female main character, and yeah, and uh, and people. Uh, turn around and say it's sexist because what she wants is romance and you know and but it, you look at the saga and she starts out as the least powerful character in the in the books and she ends up as being the most powerful character yeah you know yeah and uh it it's just really amazing and uh it it's brought so many people together so Denise, do you have any last remarks? Oh, not any more than I just hope people come and enjoy the party and read the book and share it so that other people know what it's about because I think it's a pretty great project, but, you know, I'm biased. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I hope everybody really enjoys it. It's been lots of work and it continues to be lots of work, but we're going to keep trudging through till we're done i may not at least for the moment be involved in stories about us but i have she hit loads of contacts <laughs> and some of these contacts are in very very high places in the entertainment world and i will be sure to push the hell out of your book to publicize thank it with you. everyone thank you I, I think that, you know, it's 
don't know. I just think it's a great story. Um, parts of it are my mom's story and parts of it are lots of little people who've come into my life in just small ways, maybe, but made a huge impact on me. And that's where the original title impact came from. You know, yeah, there was an accident, but it's all about how it's changed things for me socially. And, and Denise, you know, you've had a huge positive impact in my life. Thank you. I just, I, you know, you could be happy or you can be miserable. It's a choice. You know, <laughs> um, every day yeah. it's a choice. You know, so. you know, there are a lot of people who do believe that it's not a choice. I know. And, and but, you know, as, as I, I don't think I've said this on the podcast yet, about maybe eight years ago, I, uh, okay, I technically have bipolar, which means I'm supposed to have depression. <laughs> and uh, about eight years ago, I said to myself, I'm going to choose not to be depressed or seriously sad again. In eight years now, I've had like moods, you know, where I've been like, huh. But, you know, I haven't been depressed or seriously sad in eight years. Mm. That's my ass with, with bipolar disorder. And, um, and uh, sometimes some really bad stuff happens but I always look at how to make the best out of it. Like we, we talked about the impeachment yeah. failing and, and what positive stuff can actually come from that. And like yesterday, um, Britain exited the, the European Union. And I think that will lead to uh, Scottish independence. And I don't think England will stay out of the Union forever. You know, it, the I think most people want it. That's why they've been afraid to hold a vote on that. But, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm sorry if it, you know, annoys people that I look at the world as glasses half full, but it sure as hell beats the alternative. Yeah, I just, and, and, you know, and we were talking about depression and I shouldn't say that, you know, you can just put on a happy face because I don't mean it that way, but I try to always find the positive. In something there's there's it doesn't matter how dismal things are there has to be some positive you know and whether it's your kids or it's your spouse or it's you know the fact that you have a roof over your head or you have food to eat or you know there's there's always got to be something positive but I just I try not to dwell on negative things because it doesn't do anything for me right you know what i mean so just, just to you clarify know, if you dwell on the negative then your life gets even more negative and then yes. you dwell on it some more and it gets it's it's Gross. not even a cycle it's a flat line into yes. despair yes. you know i agree yeah so thank you for this wonderful wonderful discussion and this should be posted in its entirety when, oh, oh, wait a second. We've one thing we forgot to mention, Denise, this book will be available in accessible format. Yes. This book will be available in the audible format. Um, it is also going to be available 
in ebook format and it will be available in print format. Wonderful. Perfect. Accessible to everyone. So yes. I will plan on having this podcast up with the friend uh, the help of my friend JD Michaels um during my uh post which is like at one or two o'clock on Valentine's Day. Denise, you're a dear, dear friend. I love you. And if you ever get a freaking break, then come <laughs> visit me, you know? Yes, I have to do that. Thank you for listening to the Autistic Reality Podcast. Autistic Reality is a sole proprietorship corporation focusing on disability and human rights advocacy, as well as writing, editing, photography, and pop culture criticism. You can find out more at www.nothingaboutuswithoutus.net. We're on Facebook at facebook.com backslash autistic reality and on Twitter as at autistic reality. In addition, we have an immense gallery of photos on Flickr under autistic reality. Start at the collections page for easier browsing. And Alex's new book, Vinny Vitty Autism, second edition, is available on Amazon. You can also find his pop culture endeavors and posts on Facebook at backslash V-E-N-I-V-I-D-I-A-U-T-I-S-M. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon.